0: from the internet, it's the Localhost Podcast, with Mark Drew and Rob Dudley. Hello from the internet. In this, the first of our new format, Localhost episodes, we're asking the question, why payment providers? PayPal, Stripe, Braintree, webhooks, and good old gold. I want you to show me the money. Now let's get on with the show. Hello, Mark.
1: Hello, Rob.
0: Nice to see you again. Welcome. Welcome back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we're trying Brave Experiment. We're not going to do too much meta because we explained the new format and all the rest of it in the previous episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go and listen to it. We'll wait. Go on. Uh- <laughs> and they're back. Okay. I'm glad you enjoyed that show.
1: So, yeah, so we're talking in this episode, as you might understand, we're talking about payment providers. What do they do? What's good about them, what's bad about them, and which ones they are, the specifics of which ones they are. So what is a payment provider, Rob? How would you define that?
0: A uh, payment provider is one of a three-part system, including the merchant payment provider, the clearing bank system, and yeah, basically it's how you take money over the internet.
1: Right. And especially if, since this is a web development podcast, one of the things that we should look at is that how you integrate it which ones are good to integrate with, which ones are bad to integrate with, um, and how they integrate, I guess. So maybe yeah. we should go for the old school. I mean, weirdly enough, I have a little bit of a background on this. Back in the 90s, I developed with the help of Barclays Merchant Services, they allowed us to actually tie a website to their uh, clearing system. And, which was kind of first at the time back way back then i know we all take it for granted since since paypal and everything else and how we actually did that was actually by having a physical isdn line that dialed them up every time someone put in their credit card number on the website right nice so they had a little wait while you had this and it dialed up and put their card on put a hold on their card put their card on hold put a hold on their card um and then in the evening our 28.8 modem or probably it was a 56.6 modem would have this send a file with all the transactions that we assumed would taken during the day and send it to barclays merchant services which will then go and actually charge their card right
0: I like the idea that even though there's an ISDN involved here, this is one step away from building a robot that just pushes the buttons on a chip and PIN machine.
1: Right. is literally that. It's, I, I swear. I, and it the predates thing is, it's, chip and PIN. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, even there wasn't chip and PIN at the time, but the whole point was that this was sending a file via modem. We couldn't even use the same ISDN line because the ISDN line was for, for putting holes on cards. Right so we couldn't even do it like really quickly. So we tried to put loads of checks like we're about to send the file. All right, everything's clear. And this is of a modem which I'm pretty sure no one of our listeners can remember what thing is, but this stuff was slow. So and you know you could get drop lines and stuff. And yeah, so it was good fun. Interesting times. And you couldn't do it over the internet. So you can imagine like requests came into our server and our server on the back had like started dialing up stuff to to check your credit card.
0: So banks, of course, clearly, they woke up pretty quickly to the fact that this was a requirement. And we enter into what I suppose you could call the dark ages of payment provision online. Every bank had their own software toolkit. And when I say a software toolkit, they had a bunch of, pardon my language, crappy components written in whatever language they felt like using, whether it was ASP, Uh, some of them were Java, some of them were Perl. All of them only had one language.
1: Yeah. So uh, it
0: wasn't yeah. like you had this list of SDKs and examples. Oh, right. no, no. You just had to use that language. Yeah, you had to install It was all the completely NatWest, undocumented uh, and totally unworkable.
1: Yeah. You had to install uh, the NatWest uh, payment provider gateway or whatever it was called. And some of them were pretty horrible. Yeah. The, I think the, the modern take would be the Win, Windows Forms toolkit, I guess, or whatever they would have used at the time. It, it was horrible stuff. So so they tied you in pretty pretty much and even then they charged a fair amount it wasn't that cheap on your transactions i mean it's like nowadays it's 3% i'm going to i'm going to take a wild stab in the dark one
0: with some depends on on who you're looking at you normally you're looking at and we'll, we'll probably get into this in a sec but you know the percentage and the flat fee cost model but these days it's pretty competitive uh, yeah back then it cost you an arm leg You you were paying 50p a pound per transaction in a lot of instances. Um, And because they were banks and because you were talking directly to their systems, they saw you as an integration. So you had to jump through all the hoops that a bank systems integrator would have to jump through. So all of your systems had to be tested and vetted and they wouldn't even let you go live without a list of testing procedures long as your arm that was all of their stuff. It was nothing to do with what you were doing. Yeah. Your application could be a complete pile of rubbish. But you had to make sure that they'd run you through all of the bits, and ugh, nightmare. It, it wasn't even PCI compliance
1: saying that you have to be safe on the web for to save your clients' data. It was just for them protecting their own systems, essentially.
0: Which, well, let's face it, is what PCI compliance is. Um, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, more expanded, right? Uh, so you can do so break we, their stuff. Yeah, I mean, we kind of came out of the dark ages. The banks uh, didn't maintain their stranglehold on payment provision for very long. And actually, what we ended up with was slightly better services provided by the likes of WorldPay. Did you ever Uh, use them? uh, Yep. They came out of RBS, so I think they were bought by RBS. And a couple of others. And again, these were slightly better by virtue of the fact that they were a bit cheaper and had slightly better documentation, and maybe like an SDK in more than one language. That's
1: right, yeah. And uh, Data Cache was another one, if I remember right, that we integrated into. WorldPay and Data Cache were, were fairly similar. I don't know if they ever get got melded
0: together, but... I don't know, and you had... Uh, what did SagePay used to be before it was SagePay?
1: I think that might have been Data Cache. Uh, I
0: don't think so, but anyway. We'll, we'll Either way, there were tons of them. Um, every man and his dog was setting one of these up because actually the really interesting part that the internet connector plays is the banks realized that they got sick and tired of talking to nerds, um, sorry developers, they didn't want to have to deal with that level of customer ick so they worked out that what they could actually do was put together a clearing bank uh, proposition and they would interact with a merchant payment provider So they basically said, we don't want to talk to you direct. We're going to allow a whole bunch of companies to act as the middleman, and you talk to them, and you deal with them for all of your software integration, and then they just talk to us? Right. So this is where you kind of end up with... It wasn't like the banks just gave up and went away. They just realized that you know it's more hassle than it's worth, dealing with all of these web designers and online stores and what have you. We're actually just going to say, no, we're going to work with a whole bunch of approved people and let them deal with all the stuff. So the same way
1: that... SMS which might be another episode came in is it also meant that these fees that you were paying the the, the 50p on the pound or or whatever that you are paying actually then just got moved to these payment providers because they were kind of buying in bulk they were doing like we're doing you know mm-hmm. they had different limits so one one thing that you'll encounter is they're saying like well how much limits how much are you going to spend through your store and that 50p in the pound might decrease if you're doing over 10 grand right so now People, I'm going to say Braintree, but probably not the right people. But, you know, Sagebay was going, well, okay, we're providing, we're we're doing several million pounds through NatWest so they could could offer cheaper products to their clients, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the thing is also, bear in mind that with payment in any way, shape, or form, and this is true for pretty much everything except maybe cash and some of the weirder cryptocurrencies, there's always a middleman taking a cut. Um, And in the case of online payments, what we actually saw was what should have been the cheapest and most cost effective way of doing it, which was to go direct to the bank, actually started out being the most expensive because the market was pretty small. By the time the market matured, what you've actually got is a position where you've got one, two or three um, middle people all taking a cut. And that still persists today. So when you look at that fee structure, and a lot of a lot of payment providers even now operate on a, a small flat fee, so maybe 20p, 30p per mm-hmm. transaction, and a percentage of the transaction value, and they combine the two together, the idea being that it protects them against people who do loads of um, crummy little crumbs of transactions, but also it protects them against people putting millions of quid through. They still make all their money. But actually, the bank is still taking their cut uh, and the card provider, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, are still taking their cut because they also charge the merchant. So it's crazy. You've got layered fees upon fees upon fees. All of a sudden, 20%, uh, 20p twenty and, and uh, 2% doesn't look so bad. Moving on from the old school, of course, it couldn't last because we've got web developers were literally going mad. Uh, every time we had to do an every project, they'd say, oh, it's e-commerce, and you go, oh, God, add a zero. Because we knew we'd have to integrate with whatever hokey payment provider they'd picked off a shelf, because the fees were good, or because heaven forfend their bank supplied it. That and was always it, it,
1: wasn't it? It's like, oh well, we're going with our bank's one, and you're going, okay, but that's the most expensive thing on the market. Looking at you, NatWest. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know in the states, but- which
0: one's NatWest? Is that stream? Is it? Are they streamlined online? Is that Barclays? I no, can't remember I think, I think we, probably should, we probably shouldn't call out quite so many banks by name on the internet But it's okay yeah. We love you yeah. Uh, yeah, riding over the hill on a white donkey Not quite a charger um, <laughs> Comes this this scrappy little startup uh, By a couple of people you might have heard of One of them went on to dig tunnels and launch rockets
1: Yeah, Drives around uh, in little go-karts, doesn't he?
0: Like. He does. Very expensive little go-karts. Um, and there were a couple of other guys involved as well, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> can, guess,
1: can, can we guess who it is here? Yeah, come on.
0: Kid, we, we, that's, yeah, we're not allowed to do that. Uh, yeah, PayPal. I'm just going to tell them. So PayPal arrives, and PayPal's big thing was actually interesting from a developer perspective because for the first time, we had a fairly hands-off process. Yeah. yeah. We didn't have to worry about gathering all the information, building all the forms and what have you. We just sent the customer over to PayPal and we would get notification back from PayPal saying, hey, it's good, they paid, or, "Oh, it's bad, they didn't. Now, the reality is PayPal probably started with the best of intentions, but even integrating PayPal became problematic, and it wasn't so much that it was complicated, it was that there were about 17 different flavours of PayPal.
1: Yeah and a lot of the time what i found with some of my clients was that they weren't happy with you with their clients buggering off to paypal away from the site right they kept on going like well what why are you sending them to this other site they won't understand i mean now people understand about like you know auth signing into another site and then coming back but at the time it was like no we want to have the whole experience on our terms on our site in our branding and The branding with PayPal was, oh, my God, you could do it. And I think a lot of other payment providers could do it. But I think if I got all that time back, I'd
0: be a younger man, I tell you, a much younger man. I think we all would. Um, And part of the problem was, you know, why are we having to send them off to this site versus just collecting the data on the form? And this comes down to, I suppose, the, the, the good cop, bad cop in the corner of the room which um, I, I'll let you explain a little bit about what PCI is and PCI DSS and why it caused a bit of a problem for payment provision and, and using it from a developer perspective.
1: Right. Well, well, I mean, the simple part of this is... is, ha- Okay, the simplest part is thinking about that you don't have an SSL certificate, right, on your site. So it means that... or generally, I mean, now we all have them. You can get them from... Um, um uh, quite cheaply for your whole site. Um, and for free. For free, in fact, yeah, and they're altering you and stuff like that. But at the time, it was, like, very expensive. I can't remember, it's about a grand a year or something like that.
0: Um, depending on who you got it from. Yeah. And, of course, you wanted the one that actually had the insurance that covered e-commerce, right? Yeah. So it could get get quite expensive.
1: So you went, well, we're not going to do that. So we're just going to have a form in which the, the person fills in their data. And, of course... The, the payment providers were not too... Well, PayPal wasn't too happy about that because you could get a man in middle attack. You're basically sending this disinformation clear across the internet onto a safe page on PayPal, but it's already, like, you know, it's not secure at the point that you're writing it in. So the form has to be under SSL, hence you're redirecting to, to these things. And this is a PCI compliance stuff, which is, like, from the point of... What whatever system your credit card touches should be secure and encrypted.
0: I think it's important very quickly just to say that this, um, obviously PayPal wouldn't be happy with it, but the key driver for PCI, and uh, PCI being this whole bunch of restrictions around what we must do to secure our our payment systems, right? Uh, And the PCI in the name actually stands for Payment Card Industry. So this is actually a set of security uh, protocols that were put together by Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Diners Club, and what have you. And ostensibly, they did this, and I, I absolutely love this because this is super cynical, but they didn't do it because they thought, I know, let's be helpful and give developers a bunch of really strict guidelines to to make sure they know how to build a secure application. <laughs> or maybe like, they did this.
1: Our, our customer's
0: data, you know, <laughs> yeah. protected or anything like they that. They did this ostensibly to ensure that they didn't lose quite so much money through fraud in this emerging e-commerce space. Right. You know, it's total CYA. It's fantastic. Uh, and, of course, they get lower insurance premiums because they say, well, we did tell them not to do it like that. <laughs> we were very clear. Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, like, and you and I know, if, if I've seen I've, the things I've seen, right. Rob, I've seen many systems that still have lists of credit cards in there,
0: you know, oh yeah, in a I database mean, unencrypted. And you're like, no, this is... I th- mean, the trouble is that when you actually come down to it, PCI is layered, right? So there's levels that you can achieve depending on what degree of card data you handle. And the nice thing about things like PayPal and all of this stuff where you send your customer over to them without collecting the credit card information at all is you are the lowest level which means you have to fill out a cr- crummy questionnaire once a year um, and maybe get your site scanned, but they don't really care because you never actually touch the credit card information. That's right.
1: So uh, what will the workflow be with with PayPal, right? You'd go, here's your order. So none of the information there, well, part name and address, but personal identifier information, but it's not that important compared to in, in our context. Then you click the button that you des- basically go off to PayPal, where there's a form where you fill in your credit card, you submit it, and this is all on, on PayPal's side. They've got the security. They've got everything. And once you've done all of that, you come back to the site saying, yep, Mark's paid for his order. And then it's up to you to deal with that and then send out the order, right? That's it. So that's the easiest part. So easiest part for you, you've not, you know, the user hasn't touched any of your systems with a with a dirty credit card number. And you've, at the end of the day, taken the money.
0: Yeah, well, less. The Um, percentage. Probably 5% and about 50p, knowing PayPal's introductory rates. They are not cheap. But we still have this problem. And the problem is that they they still have to, and PayPal offered this, SagePay offered this, all of these different providers offered it. And they all require that you go off to this other site, this other brand, that you break the experience of, of the checkout. And if there's one thing that the psychology of e-commerce has taught us, it's that once you've got that user hooked and on the process to buy, you get the heck out of their way. You want as few doors, as few obstacles, as few changes to the experience and the flow as possible. You want to grease that staircase and watch them slide down. I
1: mean, a good example of this is Apple's stores. The moment you pick something up, someone's going to come over to you with a, a credit card machine saying, hey, you want to pay for that here? Or just in you,
0: case the impulse fades. Yeah, just in case the impulse fades,
1: or even even more, it's like the, here's the Apple Pay, Apple Store app. You in the Apple Store, you can just pick up an item, scan it, and pay for it, and walk out with this thing, without even. So you know that's a good good example of greasing the wheels. Which going on to another site is exactly the opposite. It's like going, yes, you can order your stuff here, but please go next door.
0: Uh, to the would you, shop would you mind door? popping over the road to pay yeah. and then they're going to give you a ticket and then you bring that ticket back to us, which is pretty much exactly what happened, right? Um, it's amazing that anybody ever conducted any kind of e-commerce at all. Um, but the realization was that the trouble is we're now between a rock and a hard place. We know that the experience of sending somebody over to something, even something like PayPal, which was pretty slick if you had an account and what have you, was less than optimal. But at the same time, we couldn't touch the credit card information because to become PCI DSS compliant to the level where we can handle it requires that we're doing quarterly security audits. We've got, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of, of pounds worth of cost to be able to just do that kind of bit of the process.
1: Right, And there's other parts that you want to do with, with that credit card information, not specifically, but it'd be, for example, doing recurring transactions, right? that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you have a subscription, you buy a magazine. Like, all transactions online are not just for, like, send me this item. Some of them are, you know, I want to subscribe to a magazine and, and I'm, I'm going to pay every six months or things like that, which I don't think PayPal was
0: able to do very well. Um, um, I subtly disagree because... Hilariously, PayPal actually had—I mean, the, the interface wasn't brilliant from a developer perspective, but it did work. PayPal have had recurring subscriptions for quite some time, um, and so have a number of others.
1: Right, but the, the, if they if they they got like for example, if you you have customer info about me, you wouldn't know if the credit the payment got declined because that would be a cycle, a part of the process that's over at the PayPal side and security, you know, features of it would be on there. I don't want to like. Bash on PayPal because someone said like, well, actually, but this was I at the time, time right? right? Yeah, because I now mean, we there get was to the all new sorts ones, of stuff
0: right? that they they used to do, and you'd get you know you'd then have to implement. Well, we've got failed payment notification. We've got uh, card expiry issues because the cards expire, which means you've then got to keep a track of that because they didn't used to tell you, and you'd have to build in a workflow to go back to the customer and get it updated. Yeah. Um, so all was not well in the land of payment provision, we knew that we wanted to do better, but we couldn't without causing significant problems. At this point, on an actual white charger <laughs> An actual white charger? What? Stripe. Stripe like Stripe arrive. Yeah. Um, and and yes. And they do something a little is, bit magical. All is well in the world.
1: Yeah, well they do something a little bit magical. They they, they provide a way for you need to put a bit of JavaScript on your site, which is secure, that actually puts in a little pop-up frame, like a modal window on top of your um, your transaction that pops up a, a thing that knows about the customer a little bit. So because if I've ever bought something on Stripe, it goes, hey, it's Mark. Just put in your card. I kind of know you, what your card is, even though that that's within somebody else's site. Right? Or it looks, it appears like that. The technology underneath
0: so it is nice. Stripe's right big thing was, I mean, they did two things. Firstly, they completely retooled the checkout, the actual payment information gathering window. And I think they originally, the original version had it stripped down to like three things. Name, email address, card number, and expiry. That's, That's four things. Four things. <laughs> That's, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was name, email, and card information.
1: Yeah.
0: It was really, really lightweight. Uh, and they did it in such a way that the, uh, the developer never actually saw the card information at all. Mm-hmm. The big thing that Stripe really hit out of the park was the idea that you could then receive a token for that card information. So, And to be fair, they didn't invent this. They just made it really slick and really easy to use. So you get a token back, which you can then pass up and store in your server and what have you. It's not card information. It can only be used by your site, but that then represents that customer moving forward. So if you want to do recurring billing, if you want for them to be able to go back out, edit the basket, and you know, build them a different amount, you can. And it was life changing. Yeah. It was absolutely brilliant. They also With did one exception. Oh what's that? It doesn't work in Jersey. Oh really? What? <laughs> They uh this is a, a minor point, but yeah, for whatever reason Stripe refused to onboard jersey companies. We don't appear in their list of approved jurisdictions.
1: That's interesting because um so the interesting thing about Stripe was also which apart from not appearing on Jersey, but this might be similar levels, is that in the US you got a rolling payment of about seven days. Or no, I mean I think it up to twenty four hours would be for all your payments, I beg your pardon. But in the UK, they keep your money for seven days.
0: Oh, right. So this is in terms of settling the payment out to the merchant. But
1: in in the States, it was just like bang, bang, bang. Like I think a day, 24 hours. It was like pretty much immediate. Uh, Nice. Which was very, they paid out very, very fast. Especially if you passed the whatever check and that's what i'm assuming what the check is so you've got one level in the us they've got some security and insurance in the us to be able to be paying people out probably before they've got the money from the credit card company the 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 bank company itself then in the uk they have a seven day thing to make sure that that's it and probably jersey they would never get Getting yeah, shit or whatever. <laughs> I think by things. and
0: large, it came down to what you mentioned before the checks. It was the fact that you know the KYC, the AML, and the requirements to actually deal with Jersey businesses. It's really easy in the UK. You just look up company's House, right? Yeah. There's an API for it, um, and I think we've talked about this before. Actually, this is ringing a bell. I'm assuming that there are databases and systems that are similar in the US. It's really easy to vet and validate a company or a person. Uh, Jersey has a system. It's 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 a guy called Steve. You have to phone him. <laughs> Uh, You know, there's only 100,000 people on this island, so we don't need big, whizzy APIs. Uh, But, yeah, so anyway, slightly annoying that we can't use it over here, um, which didn't stop me launching an entire company based around it. We just set it up through a UK holding co.
1: Right, which is a kind of normal thing. But, yeah, and it also gave you access to a whole bunch of very interesting things on the back end. Now, with this token, you could have create customers they could have multiple cards they could uh have recurring payments you could do transactions they could do you could also get a whole host uh or you still can this is not something in the past you can still can get a whole bunch of callbacks from stripe when different things happen like when the card payments failed or when there is things that you're paying out etc etc you know
0: Um, And it's good
1: looking, man. I mean, I've just got to say, it looks much better than Stripe, than than PayPal.
0: Considerably. And from a developer perspective, I mean, Stripe's documentation is legendary at this point. And rightly so, because they put so much work into the documentation, they put so much work into the server-side SDKs, the client-side JavaScript, whether you were using their drop-in checkout .js, I think it was called, or is called, uh, or whether or not you were using their JavaScript library to build your own experience, it was all just perfectly put together. So, uh, this is not to say that PayPal were taking this line down.
1: Did they come back? I, I I the PayPal been...
0: developers swung into action and bought another company <laughs> called Braintree <laughs> that did almost exactly the same thing.
1: Right. Yeah, Braintree was very similar in its API stuff, right? I think they
0: copied it? almost identical in concept. They had a slightly different approach. They didn't have the pop-up modal. They were more about integrating secure form fields. But fundamentally, it's exactly the same stuff: tokenization, what have you. And yeah, they got bought. They got snapped up by PayPal. I'm assuming PayPal thought about buying Stripe, but Stripe said no, or they were too expensive. I don't know. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. But
1: there's there's loads of other things, and honestly, like these, we're talking about these things. But I've had to do some work with other people, like Um and. It's super painful to deal with the APIs. I'll give you an example of one of the things that, that bit me, that one of the APIs, and I can't remember if it, I'm going to say it's merchantware, for one, only works within the US, and there's a, a VPN on it. So for example, I had to use a VPN to be able to work against it. Yeah, sure, my site wasn't in the US, but they do not accept anything outside the US. Like, it will never work, and it'll be silently fail. right? And the other thing is that they expect fields in JSON or XML to be in a certain order.
0: Oh, I love those.
1: Right? So if you have a name and credit card number, and just because let's say your your programming language, you have a structure that you then serialize to JSON, right, to send over, if it's not serialized in the order that they want it, they don't accept it. So it's like invalid, and they don't tell you why it's invalid. It's not like you know items out of order or like
0: it's going. So, oh no, you'll just get a straight like failed. Yeah. The th- the two things I love are firstly APIs that force um, parameter or field ordering. Never put the order logically. It's never alphabetic. Oh right, yeah. Right. It's never something that you could just do really easily. It's always just some contrived, oh, well, this maps onto the systems in our database. Yeah. Uh, and the one that I really love is the ones that require that you then kind of generate some kind of hash signature to sign the request. Right. So you've got to, not only have you got to get the data in the right order, but you've also got to hash it in the right order. Otherwise, the signature fails. Yeah, exactly. Then you get a sig fail. It's like, well, is that my implementation of whatever weird hashing algo you're using? Or is that the, oh, no, wait, I've just got name and surname in that order instead of surname name, which is the order you want it in? Uh-huh. You. <clears throat>
1: yeah, the anger, the anger it breathes. But, yeah, so there are worse ways of doing this. And even though we've picked on a couple of, of providers that are big ones there, there's lots out there. That make your life a pain. So this is why Stripe and Brain BrainTree came out and really, really changed the market. And especially with all the callbacks that now happen, that you have webhooks that can be calling your system back when things are happening. It's just fantastic.
0: I think there's another thing, a takeaway from what you just said there about having to VPN, that people often don't realise even PayPal um, originally, Stripe, and these bigger companies now bring to the fore. And this is the idea that, fair enough, not every country, but you can actually roll out the same payment system across a whole bunch of different countries, and it just works. Right. And that's no small thing, because previously a lot of the payment provider systems were quite localised, because the UK banking system is very different to the US banking system, is very different to the French or the Polish or the Russian banking system, which I assume is just people with envelopes full of cash, right? <laughs> in Spain, um,
1: up until the when I when I lived there in like two thousand three, two thousand four, they did not have online credit card because one of the, the legal requirements for you to use a credit card was that you had to show your ID card. So they do not have the idea of card holder not present. Because it's illegal at the time. It's now illegal. Now they're like they're like way ahead, right? So if you wanted to buy anything online, you would do it through your mobile phone. that would send you a text that costs the amount of your thing. Amazing. At the time, I mean, like now that's completely changed. Someone's going to shout at me, going like, "No, that's not right," but it's like that that's that has changed now. Oh, uh, w- we
0: could we could get into the whole kind of like you know mobile phones, alternate payment. Systems and what have you. We might have to save that for another episode uh, to go into the details of so stuff like the SMS. SMS
1: episode. Let's let's talk about it in yeah.
0: the SMS and money. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So the globalization of um, payment systems is no small challenge. Especially even when you look at things like you know over here in the UK we have something that we call a direct debit. I don't know if other countries have that.
1: I think mean, they have standing it orders, but they like don't
0: have a direct debit, not with the guarantees yeah. that come come with the direct
1: debit. They, it's the yeah.
0: idea of a changeable recurring payment, but it's yep. direct bank-to-bank. Yeah. So there's no real kind of middle person involved. Um, yeah, anyway, the reason I mention that is because that's one of the things that the UK market provided. There was a company whose name has just flown completely out of my head. But they specialised in doing direct debit-based e-commerce. So for subscriptions... You could just sign up, and away you go, and they'd get the direct debit mandate. They'd sign it online and what have you. Put in their bank information. It was brilliant, and it was also dirt cheap because it's bank to bank.
1: It's not go the cardless, is it?
0: It is go cardless. Thank you very much. <laughs> the reason I'm banging on about bank to bank is, of course, the big change that's meant to be happening right now in Europe. Which is, um, well, and well, the we're UK. dropping out. <laughs> the other big change—I don't think they see that as a big change, to no. be honest. <laughs> No, the big European overhaul of the banking system, which is PSD2. Okay. And this is basically open banking. And this is that the EU has mandated that banks allow way more of this bank-to-bank stuff, and that banks actually open up APIs, which, granted... Listeners who can remember more than 30 minutes into the past will realize that we were just ragging on banks for being terrible at writing APIs, and they probably still will be. But the idea that actually you can have uh, a common, consistent API interface into all of the banks in the country, and that you as the bank account holder would be able to authorize an application to debit funds directly to their account. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, especially, especially the, if they, is this is a
1: standardized API.
0: Uh, well, this is the idea. Okay. Right. There is a lot of concept, there's a lot of, of good feeling, and I will leave it as an exercise up to the listener and to you to go and have a bit of a, a dig around. We will put some stuff in the show notes just to give you a steer. The trouble is, of course, it's banks, so they're moving at snail's pace. It's glacial, subglacial. But yeah, the idea is it would be a standardized API. Now, the big win here is most of the banks have spent so much time driving the cost of consumer transfers to zero, I can send you a faster-backs payment right now, right, and it costs me nothing. It costs you nothing. If I send you £10, you get £10. That's right. No 10%, no 20p. Finally. Yeah, no card commission. No Visa or MasterCard taking their pound of flesh. Um, But you've got quite a few of these
1: new-fangled, I'm going to say new-fangled like if I'm an old codger, but having been in it as well, which is stuff like in the UK we have a card called Monzo, which is like a purely online debit card. It started out mm-hmm. as, a, uh, as a prepaid card. It is kind of a prepaid card, which gives you... Uh, well, they've got... No, they have a full full bank now, fully licensed and operational. Yeah. Um, and on the other side... Um, but, but they have interesting ways on how they're charging you when you use your card abroad. Then you've got TransferWise, which is also a card and also a bank account... Even though it's more geared towards transferring money across the world, like so, you can have a bank account in Europe, in the in the states, and in the UK, with them. So it's just like different money accounts. Mm-hmm. So it means that you can get payments from people in the US to the US because you know it's much easier for them.
0: Well, this is it, and all of these kind of challenges are starting to erode or shift the traditional barriers to international banking in various different ways and what psd2 is going to focus on primarily is it's meant to be about open data the reality is everybody's looking at it very hungrily as a way of doing open transfer integration so the good news is we're probably going to get much cheaper e-commerce payments that's great if you're an e-commerce merchant it's amazing if you're Amazon. And you can pull this stuff off. Can you imagine what shaving 0.01% off the credit card transaction fees does for Amazon's bottom line? Yeah, <laughs> they did like a hundred billion gross va- gross revenue last year. It's crazy. Um, but as developers, it does mean that we're likely to see a whole bunch of new APIs coming over the coming over the hill,
1: which is going to be fantastic. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be fantastic. Mainly because I'm uh, I'll have to integrate my clients to them, so loads more business. But. It's going to mm-hmm. hopefully be, like, less hair loss and less grey hair You're trying to get all that stuff done, you know?
0: Says the mostly bald-headed grey-haired yeah, man to yeah. the other grey-haired like, man. I think that ship has sailed, mate. I don't think yeah. it's going to grow back. But just what happens when you take the white out of the white, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I don't. That sounds really quite dodgy.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'll get <laughs> transparent hair.
0: <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, enough about hair. Um, so I think that pretty much summarizes our new slightly shorter format deep dive, not even a deep dive.
1: It's, 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 a, it's a to the point dive, I think. Um, yeah, hopefully this has been useful to people. Let us know what you think. We'll probably do a couple more about these whilst we gather you know reviews uh, from our
0: lovely listeners. Uh, So we'd like to have your feedback. And by all means, if we've missed something that you think we should know, let us know. Uh, If we were wrong, doubtful, but it does happen, (laughs) let us know. The whole point about this short form format is we want to try and get a bit more engagement. We want to get the the conversation continuing past just Mark and I uh, enjoying the sounds of our own voices. So please get in touch. Uh, All the usual methods are available. We're on Twitter at localhost.fm. And you can email us at show at localhost.fm. And you're what on Twitter? I am Rob Dudley on Twitter, at Rob Dudley. And you are... Mark Drew on Twitter. There we go. So, yeah, no excuse not to reach out, other than you really can't be bothered. We will see you next time for... Well, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. Tell us, what what do you want to hear? Yeah, hopefully. Otherwise, we're going to have to make something
1: up. All right. SMS and and payments over SMS.
0: (laughs) No. It's now a payments podcast. No, no, we're going to do something different. Yeah, definitely. Until then.
1: Adieu!